1: Hello and welcome to the Guardian Football Weekly. Post-match Conte rage, on-pitch Mitrovic rage, Vieira's gone at Palace, Champions League draws in England squads. Too much to get through today, but we'll start with Antonio. It's everyone else's fault but mine, Conte, after a masterclass in spursiness in the last 15 minutes at Southampton. Elsewhere in the Premier League, Arsenal motor onto the title against managerless Palace. There's some weird almost symmetry in the goals at Molyneux and Chelsea drop more points at home. Meanwhile, the hashtag Cup of Dreams sees an almighty meltdown from nice family club Fulham. Silver and Mitrovic absolutely furious about Williams' completely fair dismissal hands Manchester United victory. City and Burnley, while Brighton and Sheffield United make it through. Could be looking at Manchester derby final. All of Italy sit in one half of the Champions League draw, while the three biggest guns sit in the other. There's all that plus your questions, and that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. On the panel today, Robin Cowan, welcome.
2: Good morning, Max.
1: Will Unwin, It's been far too long. Is it our fault or is it yours? Uh,
2: probably mine and the HR case at the Guardian. Um, but I'm back, like <laughs> like the Subaru, slightly damaged, <laughs> but here to go again.
1: <laughs> Perfect. And uh, Zvonimir says, not a question. Just want to give a warm welcome back to the King of all the earthly realms, Barry Glendening. Welcome, Barry. Oh, thank you, thank you. Um, right, let's start at St Mary's then. Southampton three, Spurs three. And the game was really fun, but we'll begin with Antonio Conte. Brian says, is this the first case of a manager giving his chairman the dreaded vote of confidence? Neil says, is Conte saying there's a witch's curse Uh, Josh says, are you a team or four broadcasters who step into the recording studio? Here's just a little bit of what Conte said. You probably all heard him say it by now. We're 11 players that go into the pitch. I see selfish players. I see players that don't want to help each other and don't put their heart. But here we're used to it for a long time. The club has the responsibility for the transfer market. Every coach that stayed here has the responsibility. And the players, the players, where are the players? In my experience, I can tell you that if you want to be competitive, if you want to fight to improve this aspect, and this aspect, I can tell you, in this moment is really, really low. And I see only 11 players that play for themselves. I feel a bit like Morgan Freeman in Robin Hood, <laughs> Prince of Thieves, except sort of he's, not doing, he's not doing a speech to say, I fight like one of you. It's, it's the anti-Morgan Freeman, isn't it? Anyway, uh, et cetera, et cetera. It's everyone else's fault. It's not my fault. Um, Will, uh, what was your reaction to that rant from Antonio Conte.
2: Well, I feel I should record two versions about depending on when he gets sacked today.
1: (laughs) Yeah, good idea.
2: I'm quite surprised he's not being sacked by first thing Monday morning. There's a few things. He's not wrong about a lot of it, but he has been managing the club for a while now and nothing seems to change. They don't play very good football. They've not made very good signings. I I did the Sheffield United and Wolves games, which were both 1-0 losses. I could have used the same match report twice and just changed the names. It was all very much the same. No no penetration, no no threat in the final third. And with Benton core injured, that midfield can't pass forward. It's And they're just relying on individual moments of brilliance in the final third, which they're not providing because I suspect they're all quite low on confidence because they play quite poor football and are not winning matches. And yeah, fine, Conte might be right, but he's got to take a little bit of the blame himself and... Maybe think that he could adjust things and he could try and win matches by scoring more goals than the opposition, which is a cunning plan. Yeah, it's just a, an angry man who's blaming others for, you know, the various issues at Spurs when actually he should take a bit of the blame. And I'm say i sure he's very right on a number of these matters, but I just find it quite funny when he's, he's taking his eye out on everyone else apart from himself. Robin?
3: That was enormously entertaining <laughs> from, from someone who's not got any skin in the game. <laughs> yeah, it was. I mean, he pretty much said everything apart from they're so spursy. Isn't isn't that what it boils down to? I mean, and, and you know, Will mentioned he's surprised he's not got sacked. I think Daniel Levy's kind of gone. Well, he clearly wants to be sacked. So I'm not going to sack him. You will come in on Monday and you will do your job. It's, uh, it's like, you know, at school. It's just, it was an extraordinary rant. As I say, enormously entertaining. I don't know what else to say. I mean, he, as you, and as Will said, most of it, most of it was right. And but equally, you're three one up hasn't he got to take some responsibility for that? For not for not seeing it over the line. And the final thing I just want to say on this is that someone did point it out on Twitter, but. This is for Seinfeld fans. This is George. We're in a proper George Costanza moment here where he, he's trying to get sacks from the New York Yankees and he puts on a flesh colored uh, suit and just runs around the pitch. But it turns out to be a hit, so he it backfires <laughs> massively. <laughs> it's just, yeah, as I say, I, I, if if he stays on, which he might do, it's just what, what's going to come next.
1: Yeah, that's a good question, actually, Barry. What, can, what more can Conte do? I mean, it, by all accounts, uh, reading the reports this morning, um, he's resolved with the board that he wasn't really talking about the board at all. He was just talking about the players. It not sound exactly. It didn't sound like that on Saturday night, did it?
0: Well, didn't he say this before, that uh, when Rich, Richarlison had a pop at him for, because he wasn't playing, he said, oh, he wasn't criticising me. And you are going, well, I think he was, Tony." <laughs> <laughs> he more or less name-checked the board. He mentioned the owner. And uh, it, it was the extended version of the Sir Alex Ferguson lads, it's Tottenham team speech. And while I agree with much of what he says, uh, and there does seem to be a loser's mentality at the club, it's his job to fix that and he's been there quite some time and he hasn't fixed it in fact if anything he's made it worse you know making no effort to win a a cup tie against Sheffield United was pretty poor Uh, the manner in which they went out of the Champions League against AC Milan was poor AC Milan weren't great everyone quite fancied Tottenham to turn them over in the second leg and not only did they not do that but the performance was pretty pitiful and then when the three went up yesterday he's playing this you know sitting back, very compact, you're playing against the worst team in the division, you know, just pile the hurt on them and uh they they probably, you know spurs should have won this game they've more than enough chances to win it, but yeah, I agree with much of what Conte says, but uh to disassociate himself from any blame for the predicament they find themselves in is laughable and I think he wants to be sacked and would find it very funny if he isn't Um,
1: (laughs) yeah i mean there is something about other teams at the top of the table like are coached like like they improve their players they're like attacking moves you see how city attack or how arsenal attack or, or even brighton attack right you know and Tottenham just don't, you just, as Will said, just know exactly what they're going to do. It's almost, a, I mean, it seems a surprise, Will, that they're doing as well as they are, actually, given that they are that predictable. Or is that just a case of if you have some good players, you will just, you know, you'll just score some goals at some point. Even if people know what you're trying to do, they're not quite good enough to stop it.
2: Potentially the Spurs team are being mildly successful out of spite to Conte to keep him on for this long, just to keep him in that fourth spot. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a very interesting one that, you know, as you say, they've got Son, they've got Kane, they're always going to score goals. So you look at Kane this season under Conte, I think it's, you know, he's down to one in four from his usual around one in two. So there's a big difference going on there in individuals that they, as I say before, they were relying on to score goals. They they are defensively solid generally. I know very spursy at the weekend, but they're not conceding many goals. You know, as I say Sheffield United lost one nil, Wolves lost one nil. They're not conceding a massive amount, but just, the attacking force that they once were is far far behind them at the moment and no one looks like they're gonna they're gonna turn it around in the near future under Conte
0: he seems to convey the impression that Tottenham are very lucky to have him in charge and I'm not necessarily sure that's the case and like on the radio yesterday Max you went off on his long soliloquy about Conte's many shortcomings as manager. I think it's only fair to bear in mind he has had a very stressful time of it off the pitch in recent months. We we all know that. So, you know, maybe he deserves a bit of a break. But I noticed when that um your rant was clipped by TalkSport and put on Twitter, a lot of Spurs fans seemed to Disagree with you in uh, very strident terms in some cases, and I, I found that slightly weird because you just seem to be, you know, spewing truth bombs uh, all over the place.
3: Well, so they were they blaming the players then?
1: No, no, Daniel Levy they're blaming. And I think that's interesting because I think he, I feel like he did back Conte. You know, Richarlison was a lot of money. It hasn't worked. Conte wanted Perisic. That hasn't really worked. Uh, there was an issue about centre-back. They wanted someone better than, than Clement Longley. But uh, yes, I agree. I didn't think it merited being called a moron or a nonce.
3: But you know, <laughs> that's Twitter. You've completed Twitter <laughs> if you're it called is. a nonce. <laughs> <is. I> mean, <laughs> you're
1: absolutely right. I liked, I liked Lord Sugar's tweet saying, problem with Spurs, even under my chairmanship, is the mood culture of the players. They don't play as a team with camaraderie or passion. All they do is moan. We need more players. I recall saying to a player, more players, do you mean you're no good? We should replace you. I just idea like that Alan Sugar's still blaming Vinny Samways and Steve <laughs> Sedgley for this
2: That's season. a strong club culture, if you manage to keep it going from the 90s. So fair play to
3: it.
2: <laughs> it
1: really is. There's a DNA there, yeah. Will. Heritage. There? Heritage. An <laughs> did anyone think that wasn't a penalty? I mean, I did. I did and, and then obviously none of this happens then, right? I mean, I know it was, a, it was some dumb challenge from Saab, but I don't think he got anywhere near... Maintenance, but I am biased, Will. So, like, you can correct
2: me. Please. I'm fully in favor of penalties for stupidity, though. Okay. So, so. And it w- wasn't the smart thing to <laughs> no, do. It really wasn't. Um, yeah. I think it was an incredibly soft penalty. I can, it's one of those. You see why it's given. But if it was against my team, I'd be absolutely fuming with the officials, VAR, and you know, anyone else that might have done a refereeing course in their life. But yeah, it's one of those that's gone against them. But, you know, at least the outcome was humorous for everyone apart from Spurs fans.
1: No, you're right. Uh, Southampton are still bottom, Robin. But I mean, at this, this point, Theo Walcott, you know, it's nice to hear him. He seems so sort of zen after the game. Didn't he just sort of say, oh, well, it was nice to score against Spurs, you know, and we're all having quite a jolly time and this is pleasant. And he sort of <laughs> sounds so mature and, like, in my mind, he's still 16.
3: Does he know they're bottom? I mean, <laughs> he used to be... <laughs> but no, because I, I, did, I did their game midweek against Brentford and they were they were so bad. But actually, when he came on, he's having a sort of Indian summer. Um, he, he really... Um, you, you forget, actually, just how good a player he was and is when he's fit. And, yeah, I think that the other, the other thing that got quite a lot of traction was uh, Ward-Prowse against his best football friend, Fraser Forster, and the fact that he was, he practised penalties against him in his garden. So that was a really huge error from Forster. I mean, it's marginal gain. Shouldn't be doing that, should you? Should
1: we refuse? <laughs> well, refuse? Shouldn't be friends. Exactly. Or <laughs> well, he shouldn't have been friends with James Ward-Prowse. <laughs> uh, yeah, Fraser Forster's just been um, called into the England squad because Nick Pope is out. It makes me think... I thought we were absolutely blessed with thousands of brilliant goalkeepers, and suddenly Fraser Forster's in the England squad. But anyway, uh, good luck to him.
0: You you seem to have a big problem with Fraser Forster. I'm not having a big problem <laughs> with Fraser Forster. I've no look. When Loris got uh, injured, I remember you asking me, and it seemed like a very loaded question at the time. Oh, this this could be a disaster for Spurs, as as Fraser Forster's and goals. And I said, I. I had no strong opinions on him, but he seemed like a perfectly competent goalkeeper. Nothing he has done in the intervening weeks has, has done anything to change my mind. He pulled off a, a superb double save from Sakumara uh, at the weekend. And and I, I'm i just wondering what your beef is with Fraser Forster. <laughs> no problem with Fraser Forster. I'd like to
1: state on record, I, I, I'm surprised he's in the England squad, but that is not because I have a problem with him. Connor says, uh, "Moving on, our Arsenal mounting a title challenge. It does appear that way, doesn't it? Um, uh, they beat Palace four one, pretty comfortable win. Robin, they play some brilliant football. That was the Jacker goal. Was just such a wonderful move. It's a joy to see a team." playing lovely football and players on the pitch improving. I'm not trying to make this about Spurs, but just getting better and better.
3: Yeah. I mean, they are just they just seem to know exactly what they're doing every single second of every game. It's just, it's so impressive, um, you know, it, especially, you know, considering they went out of the Europa League on Thursday, he put out a very strong team and, you know, quick turnaround, but they're, they're back on the horse. I think, you know, perhaps being... Uh, the opposition again, uh, at home to Palace was possibly the the one that you'd want after that sort of um, exit from Europe. But no, you're right. They're just such a well-oiled machine and uh, it, it is wonderful to see. And I just love whenever Saka does anything and that smile, just it. Who, who could not have their heart warmed by that? I think he's into double figures for goals and assists now in the Premier League. What a season he's having. I feel like the
1: question, Robin, I feel like the question from Saka is, one of those sort of ridiculous. Are we are we rating him enough? Is he getting the credit <laughs> he deserves for Kai Saka? Because I don't know. I just don't know if he is. I don't know if he's sort of automatically in everyone's team of the year and those kind of things. He's been absolutely brilliant,
3: sensational, and and he's already had quite a big setback in his in his young career for his country. But he just seems to be has the right temperament. And actually I was listening on the radio yesterday and they were talking about who would Arsenal's player of the season be. And even though, you know, they had some names Saka, Odegaard, that kind of illustrates the fact that there is a debate is that they're such a team. Um you couldn't really pick one out to that's a real massive standout. They just know their jobs and it's yet yeah, w- wonderful to watch.
1: Uh Robin, you mentioned going out to sporting. I mean it's worth mentioning Pedro Gonçalves' goal, which was Absolutely brilliant, and I'm actually not sure Ramsdale could have done anything about that. It was just, it was just perfect. The ball was sort of under his feet, and to finish that, I thought it was just absolutely superb. And then, and that, and now it's the fact that this is all Arsenal have now, right? They've got is it 10 to go, and they can just totally focus on that. Whereas Manchester City could play another 18, 19 games or something.
3: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, eight points clear at the international break, and City will have a game in hand. But gosh, I mean. It's it is theirs to lose. And um yeah, as you mentioned, although uh City can kind of encost through certain games, can't they? So um you, you wouldn't worry about their depth or anything like that. But um but yeah, they've obviously got Champions League, FA Cup. Yeah, I mean it yeah, it's 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 wonderful for them. I did want to mention, um I know Nader Manuha recently talked about when you're running back, you're running downhill, running forward uphill. I thought Zaha was a massive example of that <laughs> there was a particular, I can't remember which goal yes. it was but it was just passed rounded by Saka and he was kind of watching it happen
1: <laughs> and- he watched it and then he thought oh I better start running and then and then the goal was sort of conceded on the other side so
0: it sort of conceivably wasn't
3: uh, not me, of yeah. yeah
0: I think you're absolutely right and and. Den Adama Traorius and hold my beer.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Anyway, Ben says, is the uh, new manager bounce responsible for Palace holding on to 12th place? Yeah, Steve Parrish. Um, writing it said so, with enormous regret that this difficult decision has been made ultimately results in recent months have placed us in a precarious league position we felt a change is necessary to give us the best chance of retaining premier league status that said patrick's impact since joining us in the summer of 2021 has been significant he has held in the highest regard my, by myself and all of his colleagues he led the team to wembley to an fa cup semi-final and a respectable 12th placed finish of course it was last season playing some exciting football Crypto Palace says, why are Palace considering Roy Hodgson for manager? Is it just to boil my piss? <laughs> um, uh, I mean, it's it's an extraordinary, Will. That that is a, I mean, I don't know if it's going to happen and may happen after we finish recording. But I don't know what you make of Vieira going and the idea that Roy might come back at the age of 75, age, of course, just being a number.
2: Well, it's an interesting one with Vieira that, you know, they had a very... Difficult run of games and understandably lost them because they're a mid-table team. <laughs> We're probably expected to lose all those games against teams above them. And now after the international break, they're going to have a run against their relegation rivals. But Palace's big problem is they don't score goals, which I don't really associate Roy Hodgson's teams with that that sort of football that's going to turn that around. Is the reason you bring Roy Hudson is you make your team more solid, which isn't really the issue at Palace at the moment. The problem is that they've got Ayu, Mateta and Eduard that are never going to score. And as we're discussing Zaha there with his lack of interest in defending, he doesn't have much interest in attacking at the moment either. So, you know, he's he's their main man that looks a bit disinterested and probably possibly eyeing the end of his contract.
1: Apparently, maybe Roy will think this is my last shot and I'm just going to go gung-ho, you know, sod what's come before.
0: Let's go down in flames. Yeah, I I was quite surprised when I heard he was in the frame to to take the job for the rest of the season. I've heard people say that Steve Parrish is is a good owner, a good chairman of Palace, and I'm not sure I necessarily agree. When you see how well clubs like Brentford and Brighton are run, you wonder, well, why can't Palace be the same? And in Doogie Friedman, they have a good, uh, you know, in charge of the academy and churning out good young players from South London, I just think they should be better than they are. I'm not sure if if sacking Patrick Vere was a brilliant idea or a particularly fair decision, but, yeah, the Palace just seem happy to tread water, and it it will be interesting to see what happens next, but I, I have no clue who they're going to get in.
3: I just as a fa- if I was a Palace fan, you'd be so disheartened if they brought back Roy. I love Roy Hodgson. You know he's great. It's just my la- my last image of him was at Watford when he had his sunglasses on and they were losing and he didn't make one substitution. <laughs> it was like <laughs> I'm just questioning whether he's got. I mean, I know he he obviously. Were has you thinking it, affinity- it might
1: be weekend at Bernie's? Is that what <laughs> exactly. you were thinking? Yeah.
3: <laughs> it's like it might be time to get on that cruise, you know and. uh I know he's got a real affinity with Palace and they're worried about relegation, but you know, they, they want as a fan, you want the progressive manager, don't you? And uh, it's just, it it just feels a bit like West Brom, you know, a couple of years ago sacking Billich and then getting an Allardyce, which didn't work either. Um, And yeah, as Will rightly pointed out that his, his set doesn't really match the problems they have. So I think I'm not not sure it will give the boost to the fans that, they might hope it will.
0: I do know um Ellis James, a uh, friend of the show, was at the Football Writers Tribute to Yaya Touré a few weeks ago and ended up sitting next to Roy Hodgson at dinner and it seems to have been a life highlight.
3: It's cuz he introduced himself to everyone, and he thought that was a very <laughs> classy touch. He said, "I'm Roy, I'm Roy." I'm not saying he's not a great guy. Yeah.
1: No, he's a great guy. And 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 he was in between me And Mick Hucknall, when Mick Hucknall was singing Stars to Pele and was mouthing along with the words. Obviously, Ray Lewington was next to him. So, you know, for that, I will always... That is my image of Roy Hodgson. Um, Anyway, that'll do. I mean, he's not favourite to get the job, but it was more fun to talk about than the other possible replacements. Um, That'll do for part one. Uh, Part two, we'll uh, rattle through the rest of the Premier League so we can get to the FA Cup. Uh, welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly, Wolves 2, Leeds 4. Matthew says, with all three Leeds scorers scoring in the corresponding game against Wolves last year, when was the last time this happened, if it ever has happened before? Yeah, the 19th of March 2022, Leeds won 3-2 at Molyneux with Harrison, Ailing, and Rodrigo all scoring. The 18th of March 2023, they won 4-2 at Molyneux. Harrison, Ailing, and Rodrigo all scoring. It is really annoying that Christensen scored... For Leeds, isn't it? Otherwise, you just go, this is this is amazing. They're going to cut and paste this game every season for the rest of time. Barry, this was an incredibly entertaining game, wasn't
0: it? Yeah, uh, massively so. Uh, one of several very entertaining games over the weekend, actually. I think Leeds were well worth the win. Uh, some of the Wolves defending was absolutely atrocious. Johnny had a very interesting game. Uh, scored an absolute worldie. Uh, got himself sent off. Christensen was very industrious after coming on and uh, it was just a fantastic game with some great goals, lots of uh, talking points and none of which I can remember at the moment off the top of my head. I have like a page packed full of notes (laughs) that are barely legible. Uh, John
1: Lopetegui, uh, Robin, said he could write a book about the decisions of Michael Salisbury. Would you read that book?
3: I would not, no. You know, my time is precious with a, with a two-year-old, so <laughs> I, <there laughs> wouldn't be. I wouldn't add it to my list <laughs> of books. But, uh, yeah. A
1: hundred books you must read before yeah, you die. <laughs>
3: Michael Salisbury. Um, yeah, I mean, I I usually, I'm really not in for, you know, Digging out referees, but it does. I, I feel like yeah, wolves. They went through them. I think on match today, and also in lots of articles, wolves have been on the wrong end of quite a few recently. And it sounds like Howard Webb has been visiting them nearly weekly to apologise. So he needs like his own parking space. And they, I imagine, he rocks up and they hand him the cup of coffee that he. They know how he likes. Oh, sorry again, Julian, because they 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 have been on. I don't, To be honest, I don't think any of the decisions against them. In this game, they can really complain about. But um, you know the the Nick Pope on Jimenez that was bizarre. You know, um, a few weeks ago, the Liverpool VAR one in at the FA Cup, they've had quite a few. But um, but yeah, I mean the the one they, they felt it was a foul on Traore, didn't they, in the build up to one of the goals? But I think you can't have those muscles and expect to get a foul for that. Do you opinion. think
1: it is? Do you think it is? It should be proportional to the size of your gun. Well, you know, come of, on. Come you on, know, on. Like babe. a wispy little, like Luca Modric should get lots of free kicks.
0: Exactly.
1: Sort of like exactly. A bit of a waif. Okay. That makes sense.
0: I wonder what um, Marco Silva's book about chris kavanagh be more interesting <laughs> i think it might be we'll get we'll get to that the top of the bestsellers list the two these two <laughs> terrible books about rep, the decisions of various referees
1: I, I like the idea of well just how would we really need to drive to wolverhampton to get out of a car you know it's a bit like you know when the soldiers they walk together they take their hats off and they knock on the door and they say can you sit down please we've got some terrible news i think that is something you have to do in person isn't it you know i'm not sure saying yeah do you know what i think that wasn't well he's
3: he's committed to it but i mean yeah probably if it keeps happening he'll just maybe fire off a text (laughs) in the next few times
2: he's probably just got a template on whatsapp (laughs) so, <laughs> yeah. so, so you, do you um. think so? <laughs> yeah, probably. We'll try to do better. So, so does,
1: <laughs> do you think, Will, I mean, I, I was about to ask you really a not-a-fair question, which is, you know, you know, does that mean Leeds are safe? Well, obviously not. But, like, the bottom of the Premier League, and we've said it before, it's just so utterly brilliant, isn't it? You know, that, that win keeps Wolves down there on 27 points. Leeds now on 26 points. Southampton are bottom on 23. And there's five teams... Yeah, five teams between Leeds and Southampton.
2: Yeah, the, the 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 battle to go down is going to be an interesting one. I think what Leeds have in their advantage is they have a striker that sc- that's scoring goals, which <laughs> no one else down there really does. Wolves' deflected goal for Cunha was the first, you know, first goal by a striker since Adam was a lad. Whereas Rodrigo's, you know, now in double figures, easy, and he's had a spell out injured, so. That that will that will make a big difference at the bottom when you know Forest without o- o- and E, you know don't look like scoring particularly often. Bournemouth their top scorer is Philip Billing. You know everyone's struggling down there to find goals. So lead scoring four in one game is good for them as t- for team morale and also as I say having Rodrigo to to put away chances as he can is a is a great boost going into the, the final part of the season.
1: Chelsea two Everton two. Like there was a, a video doing the rounds, Robin. I don't know if you've seen it of Graham Potter. I don't. He's at some sort of some sort of corporate shindig, and then he says, "Oh, we'll draw with Everton," and then sort of goes a bit potty mouth, doesn't he? And says he's going to win the Champions League. Have you seen it? It's slightly doesn't feel in keeping with the Graham Potter, you know. That I know that I want that I want him to be. He's not being the man I want him
3: to be. <laughs> He's trying to be a cool kid and it, it's yeah. yeah. No, he did a swear and it's like Eeyore swearing or something. It's really <laughs> <laughs> No, it, it was it was a bit cringe. And it was just again against Everton, it was just the same, wasn't it? They played pretty well. Shal Felix looks really good. Actually Kai Havertz is, is looking much brighter, but again, just you know, a especially the first goal was another really peak Sean Dyche head tennis. It must be loving that. Um, and I think we should be giving Sean Dyche a bit more credit because I know he he's a bit of a figure of fun. And I do think he actually plays up to that a little bit, but he's come in and they were such a mess and he's got really limited options, particularly up front. He's clearly not only a good tactician, but he's a motivator. So, you know, he's, Good on him, good
1: on him. And actually, I think it was Wilson was talking about Ellis Sims, Barry, and saying, look, he played that game against Liverpool, but he's not a target man. His job is not, even though he's big, that's not necessarily what he does. He doesn't sit there and the ball doesn't stick and he lays it off other people. What he is good at is, you know, he's got quick feet and beating a man. And he he showed that against Koulibaly. I mean, his movement and his speed were brilliant.
0: Yeah, um, he showed what he could do uh, on loan at Sunderland in the first half of the season scored a few goals and was very impressive um up front with uh, Ross Wallace and then was recalled at Christmas hasn't had too many opportunities since but that was a really good goal i mean Koulibaly is a big unit and to hold him off get past him and and score uh, such an important goal and it's his first goal for Everton i was worried about where the goals were going to come from for Everton and they are, but they are scoring uh, and, you know, quite a few are coming from set pieces. But, yeah, Chelsea really threw that away, I think.
1: Brentford won, Leicester won. Uh, well, Leicester had lost five on the spin before this. They still went down to 17th with this result. They haven't kept a clean sheet since the World Cup. But a point at Brentford is good, right?
2: Yeah, they're interesting. I was at Brentford against Everton the previous week and they just seem to be lacking a little bit of energy in the last couple of games. You yeah, know, they've got nothing to play for. They're unlikely to get to Europe. They're not going down. So in that sort of end of season purgatory, just getting through to the summer, you know, getting getting the holidays books. But yeah, any point away from home when you're in a relegation battle is excellent. And Brentford are hard to break down. They've done well to get a goal. But Leicester, going back to my previous point, that no one's scoring goals consistently. Harvey Barnes has got seven now, and so quite reliant on him. But none of their central strikers have done the business this season. And, you know, you need to change that if you are going to stay up and a point away at Brentford is positive. But, you yeah, they're, they're looking at one of the meeker sides going into the, to the final few games.
1: Brendan Rodgers is sort of under... I, mean, I don't know how much pressure he's under. I guess he didn't have a lot of money to spend. Leicester fans are really not... It sort of feels similar to quite a lot of other managers who, from the outside, were like, oh, well, you know, he's doing all right. I mean, it's not a great season, but they'll be fine. But people who go going week in, week out are like, this is really bad. It is bad.
3: I don't think he's under pressure from the board particularly although I think I would be fairly surprised if he was there next season but yeah I mean I think someone pointed out on a previous podcast didn't they that the fans I mean he gets pretty much every game there's chance the fans wanting him out so yeah I think things aren't good there and they are definitely in the battle and as a Meek is a very good word to describe it from Will. Just a bit listless at the moment. and it was just a, it was a really obviously a fantastic goal from set up by Madison for Barnes. But those sort of moments are few and far between, and yeah, extremely worried about them. Brentford though had this incredible statistic where they, if they take the lead, they've not lost a Premier League game when they've taken the lead yet. So even though they drew here, it's they're incredibly resilient when they, when they go in front.
1: Uh, now, Barry, it was your 50th birthday. Um, Would you like a birthday message from someone?
0: Uh, I I thought all oh, my birthday surprises were over, but yeah, go, go, go for it. Hi, Barry. This is Ethan Pinnock here from Brentford. Happy 50th birthday from everyone here. And yeah, we do. We all completely agree. My goal against Liverpool was definitely goal of the season and I was robbed. Glad you enjoyed it, mate. Have a good one. <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs>
1: superb and that is courtesy of that is courtesy of robin cowan how how <laughs> keen was ethan pinnock and was he aware of what you were talking about before you mentioned it to him
3: oh very aware the, uh, yeah, you know of barry i wouldn't fire off an email to, to anyone for this <laughs> <laughs> the press officer is a listener and uh he, yes they they're all very aware and they were they're very thankful of the campaign to get his goal to be gold this season. Oh, well, well, thank you very much, You're
0: Robin. Right. That's very kind of you. Of all
1: the surprises you had, is a birthday message from Ethan Pinnock the best
0: one? It's a close second behind a life size cardboard cutout of Fiona Bruce.
3: I think he'd take that. He'd take that. Marvellous.
1: Uh, Villa 3, Bournemouth 0. Um, uh, Robin, you were at this game Um Uh, Unai Emery said afterwards that Villa can push for Europe. They're four points off Brighton in seventh. Paul said, look, can we have some actual discussion on Villa other than mentioning their result and focusing on their opponent? I realise this is slightly passive-aggressive. I'm sorry, or am I? But he sent this graphic saying, look, since Unai Emery became the Villa manager, they are third in the table, which had completely passed me by, I have to admit.
3: Uh, It just shows how terribly they started the season under Steven Gerrard as well. No, they were, I mean, obviously, you know, Bournemouth were pretty toothless, but Villa played fantastically well. And they. it was interesting because Ramsey was saying afterwards that it's taken them a a bit of time to adapt. To he's very much in uh, possession-based style, Unai Emery, and they're just starting to adapt to that. And, I mean, I think possibly Europe might be a little bit out of their reach now, but I think they play eight um, of the top ten in the run-in, so... They do have a chance to reel a few few teams in, and we know Unai Emery is the king of uh, Europa League at least. So, um, I mean, they've just got a, they've got a fantastic manager, haven't they, Aston Villa? They've re- I mean I, th- I think they've lucked out, really. Have
0: I, think, I? I saw that tweet and I was a bit sniffy about it because I was sort of, oh well they were 14th when he took over, now they're 11th. Big deal, you know. Patrick Vera was sacked for being 11th. Then I noticed the the massive gap between them and Palace and 12th you know is huge gulf and it will be very interesting to see how they get on next season when you know Unai Emery has a pre-season with them and gets more players in and ships out a few yeah it it's exciting times for Villa because his pedigree is excellent
3: i would say as well yeah he was really limited because he did couldn't name a full bench and two of them were goalkeepers so it was it was very much basically whoever was on the pitch. And so I'm sure, I think they are going to invest heavily again, the owners in the summer. So, you know, the pressure will be on to deliver definitely next season.
1: Uh, Definitely worth mentioning David Brooks, who came on after uh, 534 days um, since his last appearance. He was diagnosed with stage two Hodgkin lymphoma in October, 2021. Uh, In May last year, said he was cancer free. So uh, a wonderful story to see him back on the pitch. On Friday night, Newcastle won 2-1 at Nottingham Forest, Will. I'm, I get normally get very annoyed by handballs. I I couldn't get annoyed by is it handball injury time? What is he doing?
2: You know the rules. You know you know where your arms need to be. That is not where it should be. It's a penalty, and you can shout and moan as much as you want. VAR has its issues, but it it it, it can spot an arm when it's there. Um, yeah, ludicrous decision. He had a good game. He's only just back from injury, um, so I felt a bit sorry from that fr- on that front. But yeah, what? A- what a bit of idiocy!
1: Yeah, I did like how he went, sort of held his head as if you know, like it's just, oh, my head really hurts. And just sort of going, you know, it is being, it's being, is being filmed. This, like, you know, it's, just, it's there. You know, the people will see this. Don't they?
0: I, I thought he was just kneeling on the ground with his head in his hands because he's, you know, oh god, I've had an absolute shocker there. Oh really? That, that was oh, the right. impression how- I got.
1: Oh, I thought he was doing kind of Stephen Taylor, kind of, ah, oh, you know. Maybe, My maybe. head is incredibly sore. I must admit, I have done that on a pitch before, though, you know. It only held my head for just when I've definitely it's hit me in the hand. Chris, this Friday was a long time ago after this crazy weekend. Please tell me what the hell happened with the long staff offside. Um, this was the one where it hit, there were two Forest players who kicked it, Robin. And long stuff was given off
3: sides? Yeah, it was to do with I mean, it's a subjective decision by the referee about, you know, about that sort of was he deliberately playing the ball or was he just blocking it? But I mean it looked it looked like he was it was a sort of clearance. So yeah, it was a, it was a strange decision. So that would have been had they not gone on to win that, that would have been massively contentious. But I mean I think if we're trying to be fair, that that is a subjective call from the referee. And he right. he went to have a look at it and decided that he felt that it was sort of a, I don't know, like a block as opposed to a clearance, I think. So, but it just didn't look really like it.
1: Yeah, that, I mean, that, that goal given or not given and the penalty that like, Newcastle definitely deserved to win this game. I think Isaac looks really good. And actually that, that late penalty and the one at Spurs are great for Newcastle sort of just to sit there while the international breaks on, being that close to Spurs, having those games in hand, they can sort of, it feels like Newcastle have had a blip, and this feels like it could be a turning point for them.
0: Yeah, uh, they definitely had a blip, there's no doubt about that, and they seem to have emerged from it. I think they were slightly fortuitous in this game, but uh, it's a good win. Anyway, look, that'll do for part two. Part three, we'll do the FA Cup quarterfinals.
1: Welcome to Part Three of the Guardian Football Weekly. Uh, Mike says, with headlines linking him with the Spurs job, has Marco Silva just given the perfect interview for the position? Bear, will Mitrovic be banned longer than Barry's hangover from his fiftieth birthday party? Uh, it was an, in, well, it was a sort of utterly ridiculous seventy-second minute of the game, wasn't it?
2: It, it? it was scenes that everyone wants to see, isn't it? It was a penalty. It was a sending off. Mitrovic. For some reason, decided to take umbrage with this this concept of right decisions, and didn't didn't need to get involved. Probably didn't see the handball in the first place. Didn't trust did, doesn't trust video monitors. So thought he just pushed the ref. Uh, but Marco Silva again thought he'd he'd intervene before he got to the video monitor, just in case you know maybe he had a better remote. I don't know. <laughs> And got got himself sent off for the most obvious, you know, for trying to get involved himself. And it was, yeah, it was ludicrous. And Fulham had played well. I don't, you, you know, just t- take a breath. You know, Marcus Silva just shouting Luis bowen here. He can take it. Don't take out the ref. Mitrovic, just, you know, go push Tim Reeve. It's fine. You know, have a chat about it. Relax, see how the penalty goes. But yeah, it's just losing your head in that moment, and it is you know as professionals you've got to know how to deal with these situations at times, and it was a, a bad moment for all, all involved at
0: Fulham. I would say it was a ridiculous act of of self sabotage because they were playing really well. Manchester United weren't quite at it, and even if United scored the penalty, it's kind of still fancied Fulham to to maybe go on and win it, and. Ah, it was just I mean I saw Richard Osman, you know, of um House of Games and Pointless Fame going uh, on Twitter. He he was he's a Fulham fan and he, he was furious because Fulham don't get the opportunity to get to, you know, FA Cup semi finals or finals very often and to be in such a good position and then just mess it up so spectacularly, blunderbussing yourself in the foot like that on both feet. Uh it was yeah, bad. And it will be interesting to see what mit- what ban Mitrovic gets. Uh, see Some people have been saying he should get a 10-game ban. I suspect it will be somewhere in the middle, but you, you can't do that.
1: No. I mean, Marco Silva said, I'm not going to lie. This is on his red card. I didn't say he was a really nice guy. And the decision was fair, but he didn't hear me. Our story with Chris Kavanagh this season has been tough for us. Unfortunately, we have been very unlucky with him this season. Many moments, it is difficult to understand some of the decisions. He's not really helping his case, is he? And obviously, like we can't, you, you know, you cannot touch a referee. It's obvious you can't do that. I don't. I mean, he didn't push him as much as DeCanio Canio pushed Paul Alcock, right? On the scale of pushes, I don't know. What, I, I don't know. You're looking at me, Robin, like that doesn't matter.
3: No, (laughs) I I just... It doesn't matter, you're right. No, I just, I, I, you know, I don't want to be the pearl clutcher here, but it's just so, it's just totally unacceptable. It's it's awful. And I just think referees just need to start, because I know Fulham fans might, if he's sort of made an example of, they'll think it's unfair. And it sort of is. Referees just need to start sending people off, because they'll stop then. It's almost like you need like a sort of two-yard rule. But you can't don't get anywhere near them. It's it's just so not cool, not cool. And as, the referee as Will, could
1: the referee could be an absorb, couldn't he, exactly
3: someone, something like uh, that. Um, yeah, yeah, I can't see any drawbacks to that. Uh, that'll be hilarious. Um, But it's just like like Will said, you're professionals. Grow up. You know you could accept a decision, and especially a decision that was not completely correct. It was just I know it's emotional, but I just don't buy that. It's not. As I say, grow up. That's the baffling
1: thing about all of this is that it was just a handball. It was just like really was. It's just like you, there was no injustice at all. I mean Sabitzer scored a lovely. Go- quite haven't worked out quite Barry how Sabitzer did that sort of yeah it, twisty
0: it,
1: chip it, ding. It, it
0: was um, you know very deft, uh, very quick feet, and I'm uh, with you. I had to watch it a couple of times to see how he managed to... to- get it in Um, but it it was a lovely finish and Manchester United they they were lucky that Fulham lost their heads because it it wasn't one of their better performances you can kind of understand that they've had to play midweek matches for 13 weeks in a row Uh, there's presumably fatigue there and they've quite a few key players injured so there's option for rotation is, is limited, but uh, it's a shame, I think, because I, I you know, full and bright and semi-final would have been nice, wouldn't it? Mm.
1: Yeah, and it is worth saying on the referee thing as well, that it what people do at the top level, it does filter down and actually filters down worse, right, you know, and so that is, that is sort of the most important, serious point of all of this, is that that should probably have an impact on Mitrovic's ban, actually, because if it happens in grassroots and no one's there to see it, and you know, at the moment referees are trialing body cams, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, you know, like it's it can be dangerous to be a referee at grassroots level. And if you don't have referees, you don't have football. So that probably should have an impact on his ban. Um, uh, let's rattle through the rest of the game: City six, Burnley nil. Um, Will, did you think Burnley had a sniff here
2: uh, for about twenty-five minutes? Yeah, I, I was there. And they did well, and City were at the best early on, and they went man for man. But I think it was a good learning curve for company that he probably can't do that in the Premier League next season. I'm sure he'll have a few better plays than he does now, but against the top teams, it's quite an ambitious uh, policy that he enacted. And they, they look like they could do City on the break a couple of times early on, and City at the back at the moment, quite liable to a mistake with their passing, because it can be quite half-assed. Um, but yeah, once... City made a couple of adjustments after about 25 minutes and Harlem really pushed on the last man and that's where he was when he received the pass for the for the goal from for Julian Alvarez. And then Phil Foden it was great in transition and great cross, great finish. And that's what happens when you play against Premier League teams that <laughs> they are going to punish you. At half-time, City-Burnley... Burnley, they both teams had had five shots. Burnley had had three on target, City had had two, but City had scored two, and that's the nature of the, <laughs> nature of playing against Premier League champions. And by the end of the game, City had had twenty shots and ten on target, and Burnley had one more off target, and that was that was it. Which shows the sign of dominance after after time as City turned it on and, and Burnley massively tired.
1: Where did Alvarez play well? Because because you sort of think he is such a brilliant player, and he's not necessarily going to be happy for that long. Not starting that many football matches
2: in behind Haaland, you know, just sort of it was quite a you know a key role of wandering around. But I think they sort of fixed it more when they realised that Burnley were going man for man anyway, and so that sort of changed the dynamic because um, the centre backs were following them around, and they, in the end they created Haaland and Alvarez having a bit more space between him, um, which helped uh, pressurise them. But yeah, I think I think for Alvarez he'll want to play up front. And I don't think it's likely it's going to be a two-man strike force. Uh, and uh, Haaland's now got 42 this season. So it's an interesting one. But Alvarez did sign his new contract last week. So he's, he must be optimistic that they might find a role for him permanently.
1: Game of the round was Sheffield United-Blackburn, Barry. And Tommy Doyle, what a way to win a quarterfinal of an FA Cup.
0: Yeah, it was a brilliant game. Uh, absolutely brilliant. Two teams going hell for leather when you could be forgiven for thinking they both have more important things on the mind. Sheffield United obviously chasing an automatic promotion. Blackburn sitting pretty in the playoff places, but this was a full blooded cup tie with, with, you know, players from both teams snapping into tackles and, uh, the winning goal was an absolute screamer, uh, just on the 90th minute mark. And, I think Blackburn were probably the better side throughout until Sheffield United equalized through Ollie Mcburney in what ten minutes to go, and then it very much Sheffield United chased the game. they did not want extra time and a uh, beautiful goal to win it i I hadn't realized he was on loan from man city uh yeah, a wonderful goal uh, there was a slight bit of contention over it though because. Blackburn's Tyler Morton was on the ground in the penalty area and John Dal Thomason, the Blackburn manager, said the game should have been stopped because he had a head injury. Now, he didn't have a head injury in the he'd had a bang on the head sense of the word, but I think he would had a finger in his eye and John Dal Thomason made the point like if someone's stuck a finger in your eye, either accidentally, I think it was an accident you can't see. And if you can't see, you can't run. And if you can't run, you can't be in the zone to to try and block Tommy Doyle's shot. So uh while it was an absolutely spectacular goal, I do think John Donald Thomson might have had a bit of a point. They did have that penalty, which
1: I guess, if you were Sheffield United's manager, you'd be slightly annoyed about I, I think, I don't know. Uh, Ali McQuist was furious about it. And if he's furious, then I'm naturally furious. I suppose his hand was out, wasn't it, when he, um, it was Robinson who who handled the ball. Um, I liked Ollie McBurney's goal, Robin. It it seemed to be the most Steve Claridge goal since Steve (laughs) Claridge played football. (laughs) That's how I saw it. All he
3: needed was to start eating a bowl of fruit in the celebration. But the big thing here is, as as Barry said, Doyle and McAtee are on loan from Manchester City. So they're probably not going to be allowed to play, are they? And that is just nonsense, isn't it? Yes. In the semi-final.
1: When did that happen before? Who was it? Dean Henderson or something? Couldn't play for Forest, Forest. against Manchester United? Yeah, it's a dumb rule. Uh, also worth congratulating Sammy Smodics on scoring a goal because one of the best names to say in current football, along I, along with, I would say, Harry Toffolo, who, uh, you know, I don't know if you've ever had the joy of commentating Robin on Harry Toffolo, but I ah, he's, not, that. he's not had enough game really? time at Forest,
3: yeah. but it's, yeah, that's a good one to shout that, yeah.
1: Daniel says, surely the FA will have to step in and ban ITV from using BBR as an acronym for Blackburn Rovers. That does seem wrong. I mean, BLA, surely, for Blackburn Rovers. That was That's where I would go. But yeah, I'm not having BBR for that. Brighton 5, Grimsby 0. Um, no magic for Grimsby. I guess there was that moment at 1-0 where Robert Sanchez comes out
0: of the box. It looked... Did look to me like he was quite a long way out of the box when he caught that ball. Yeah, it's it's like that Japan uh, goal at the World Cup, wasn't it? Where everyone thought the ball was out of play, but it turned out that you know it was an optical illusion. So maybe that was the same here. Brighton won five 0 It could have been ten, but uh, hats off to Grimsby for making it that far uh, without wanting to sound patronising or condescending. The beat. I think it was five teams from divisions above them to get there, and they probably, you know, they had to hope Brighton would have a bad day. And bad days for this Brighton side are, are few and far between because they're just really, really good footballing side.
1: Mm. And Evan Ferguson, Baz, is I mean, he is so good, isn't he? Like the, the, that first goal was just every touch was perfect.
0: Yeah, he looks the real deal, and he's only 18. This is obviously his his breakout season. I I hadn't heard of him. I'll be honest before. I think it was his he made his debut for Brighton. Um, but very exciting. Uh, Republic of Ireland fans don't have a huge amount to get excited about, but uh, his emergence is one certainly one positive
1: in the squad for the upcoming qualifiers. So, look, Brighton, Man United, Man City, Sheffield United. That is the draw. Um, elsewhere. Uh, Barcelona won El Clasico last night by the way uh, in injury time Frank Kessie side-footing at home um, rather had a goal disallowed about 10 minutes before that for a tight offside so uh, they're uh, um, 12 points clear with 12 games to go on course for their first La Liga title since uh, 18-19 also worth digging out Ryan Vallecano's penalty against Girona they tried to kind of Johan Cruyff Jesper Olsen Parsi, passy but the guy he passed it to just booted it over the bar <laughs> it was <great>. um <laughs> Uh, Will, what do you make of the Champions League draws? I mean, you cover a lot of City. You're a City fan, aren't you? Um, Bayern, probably not ideal draw for Man City, is it?
2: No, it's a very difficult draw, but City are confident with whoever they play, and if you're in the Champions League, you've got to beat the best, and that's the situation you are in when you're in these big competitions, unfortunately. For for City, yeah, it would have been nice to play Benfica. No, it's Benfica, but City are obviously going to be favourites going into that. Um but if you've got a striker that scored 42 goals this season, you know, you've got to be pretty optimistic, whoever you play.
3: What's your prediction that Pep's going to do? How's he going to lose his mind
2: this time? Uh, yeah, drop drop Haaland, play Carson as a false nine. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Well, he, he probably just wants to rile João Cancelo, so find whoever he... At City dislikes Cancel the most. Put them on the bench and just get him to sort of warm up with them, just to just to annoy him because he seems to have fallen out with Xiao before we got rid of him. Yeah, they seem pretty set without without playing any. You know, it seems to be Stones and Aki are the fullbacks at the moment. So yeah, maybe I'll put Gundam in there for the for the buying go. Who knows? <laughs>
1: um. So yeah, City Bayern and Real Madrid, Chelsea in that side of the draw. I, like lots of people. Robin was saying look Chelsea on their day could beat anyone and then you know on their other day they draw at home to Everton so you you'd got to say real madrid are a favorites to get through that
3: they'll be favorites yeah and just because it just it's they come from improbable situations to win it time and time again so yeah it's a tough draw but i chelsea have been playing pretty well the last few weeks they were really good against dortmund and um it's pretty much all they've got now, isn't it? I don't think they're going to go in the top four, so the, it will focus the minds, and um, they've just got to, they've got to be more clinical. So I'd say they they definitely have a chance, but this is Real Madrid's competition, isn't it? Mm. Uh,
1: Benfica, Inter, and Milan, Napoli, the other two. So you could have a kind of slightly turgid but fascinating Milan derby, or you could have like a brilliant footballing Benfica, Napoli. And I think most people would like to see Napoli get two to the final to play one of the big guns uh, in it. Um, uh, before we end the pod, Barry, we did actually ask people to send happy birthday messages to you on one of the pods, presuming <laughs> you don't listen to the pod. We couldn't be subtle about it. But I presume you didn't hear that. Uh, but we had, I didn't know. We had more correspondence than we have ever had on anything else, uh, believe it or not. Uh, we did get some messages that we can play in from... Other panelists, uh, I think we did anyway. Did we, Joel? No, no, we didn't.
0: <laughs> oh, lovely!
1: <laughs> no, we got hundreds of emails and a voice note from Dar O'Brien because <laughs> I thought we were getting millions. <laughs> and also, right, also, I messaged Chris O'Dowd right on Instagram. I don't know why, <laughs> just because you know, people think you're him and they think you're Dar and anyone Irish. So I mentioned I messaged Chris O'Dowd on Instagram, but he didn't. He yeah, either didn't read it or didn't all that. So then I went on Cameo and I spent fifteen dollars, uh, fifteen Australian dollar, I think, or seventeen dollars to ask for a birthday message for you. And as I, as yet, he has not come good. To be fair to Chris O'Dowd, he gives that money to charity, so he's not coining in uh, that. So maybe in the future. So we've given money to a charity of his choice. I forget which. And and as yet, Chris has not come good. So we'll see what happens. Let me read out a couple of these emails. Hannah says, Dear Barry, Happy Birthday. This is a poem for New Year's from an Irish poet philosopher named John O'Donohue. You probably already know him, but it feels more like a birthday poem to me. I admire, here we goes. I admire your wit, your integrity, your clarity about what you know and your willingness to learn and take in new information. I hope that this is a good year for you. I'm lucky and glad to be able to listen to your lovely voice in my shell likes a few times a week. Here we go. Here's your poem, A Blessing for the New Year by John O'Donohue. On the day when the weight deadens on your shoulders and you stumble, may the clay dance to balance you. And when your eyes freeze behind the grey window and the ghost of loss gets into you, May a flock of colors, indigo, red, green, and azure blue, come to awaken you in a meadow of delight. When the canvas frays in the color of thought and a stain of ocean blackens beneath you, may there come across the waters a path of yellow moonlight to bring you safely home. May the nourishment of the earth be yours. May the clarity of light be yours. May the fluency of the ocean be yours. May the protection of the ancestors be yours. And so may a slow, Wind, work these words of love around you, an invisible cloak to mind your life.
2: Doesn't rhyme.
1: <laughs> doesn't rhyme, right, Will? What's that shit poetry? <laughs> Give me when Daddy fell into the pond. That's what I want. Yeah. Uh, anyway, um, that'll do for today's part. Happy birthday a week ago, Barry. Um, Thank you very much. That's all right. Happy birthday from Ethan Pinnock, Dara Brin, and maybe one day, Chris O'Dowd. Uh, cheers, Will. Thanks for coming on, mate.
2: Thank you very much.
1: Yeah. Uh, cheers, Robin. Thanks, Max. Football Weekly was produced by Joel Grove. Our executive producer is Danielle Stevens. Hello, Barry. Dara O'Brien here, your old comedy buddy back when we used to do those gigs. Remember those? The 100% unattended 1998 Galway Unplugged Comedy Festival. Great days. And now look at you, 50 years old and king of the podcasts. You've managed to turn obscure sporting knowledge and a terrible lifestyle into a career. Well done, Barry. Will we see another 50 years? Well, No. Neither of us will really to be honest with our lifestyles. Let's aim for maybe 20. 20 good years, 20 more chances for Offaly to win in all Ireland. So Sloan Barry, Laura Honoritz, and congratulations!
2: This is the Guardian.